Welcome to JR Out Loud, the podcast of Jewish Renaissance. I'm Judy Herman, and I'm pleased and privileged to be talking to members of two generations of one family, Eva and Johnny Mendelssohn. And together we're talking about more than those two generations. Johnny is Eva's son, and Eva's late mother, Sylvia Kahn, who sadly perished in the Holocaust, gave her little daughter the most precious gift for her 11th birthday, a little exercise book filled with her poetry, with this introductory dedication. Of yesterday and today, a small anthology of poems for my beloved children from their mother, Rivas Altis Camp, 15th of March, 1942. To my children, know that your mother loves you, and sends you her blessing, and as you turn the pages, they will stir thoughts of homeland. Don't forget it. Forget not the country of your birth. Let your mother tell you there was joy and light in the life we once lived there. As you can hear, she was the most wonderful poet and writer, and that's partly what we're going to talk about today. But we're going to talk about quite a lot more than that, about Sylvia's life, legacy and relationships, and what it's like to be a survivor and the child of a survivor. I want to welcome Eva Mendelssohn and Johnny Mendelssohn. Thank you so much for agreeing to come and talk to me, both of you, and welcome, welcome to JR Out Loud. Thank you. Thank you. You've got this wonderful additional joy and and I suppose it's very poignant joy of having the poetry and so many letters now. Yes, the, you've seen quite a few. The, the letters are also very poignant and very revealing, very stark sometimes. Now I found things in the letters and the poems that were not discussed on, on the radio. Your mother's Judaism was very important to her, I think. That's what came over when I was reading yesterday. She has an interesting relationship with God, for a start, um, whom she rightly calls to account, I think. When she's ill and in hospital, and she always, she, she, she prays to God to help her to get over the operation, yes, it's quite right. Yes. I, I don't think we were very orthodox. We, we were very Jewish, but not very orthodox, like many German Jews. She would turn to, we all turn to more to religion, once we heard 1933, and we knew where we were going. So from the beautiful mountains and rivers and birds and flowers, we suddenly seemed to turn to uh, our belief in going to Israel and the future. But it just didn't manage it because the war broke out. Yeah, so I, I could see that in the poetry she talks about Israel and a sort of longing to go there. Zion. 10th of September, 1933. Homeless we have become, wandering over land and sea, deep in the south, high in the north, no one, not one nation, willing to take us in. Did not God give our ancient forefathers a land flowing with milk and honey? Blue and white is its flag, and Eretz Yisrael is its name. Land of life, land of joy, the light of our future, 
you we look in sorrow. Do not send us away, take us in. After all the gloom, there shines a bright star, a glimmer of hope for all those of us in need. Zion, home, to love you is our most sacred commandment. Boys when they're 34. Yes, and so she wanted to get there. And it would have been a very different story then, obviously. But I still feel that there are, she talks about the Kahila, the community, a lot, doesn't she? Well, we were and, a small community. There were about 300 families. And so people are involved. She, she recites a poetry. She wrote a play and we children put it on. Uh, which I, as a five-year-old, remember. You know, <laughs> unbelievable. All the things that are stuck there in this, in this mind, you know? I was going to say, that it turned out that when Jews could no longer participate in, in the wider world, that there was like a Jewish cultural um, sort of association. She's in that. One yes. of her plays which is included in, in that. And also my aunt, Sylvia's sister, Liz, Elise. She was a painter and she had pictures in this exhibition mm. that was broader than just Offenburg. This is like a German national... Uh, yes, uh, yes, the Kulturbund, yeah. Um, I think that's exactly yeah, right, yes. Going back to your mother, it's it's very raw and first-hand. It's, be it's beautiful, beautifully written. I am not. don't mean it's raw from that point of view, but, I mean, it is so first-hand, the experiences. When she's separated from Ed, her husband, it's terribly poignant me reading these verses to Ed. There's one particular poem that's entirely to him that he's he's not there and she's so desperate to I think that's when she he's already gone to England, I think, and she's trying to wants to join him. But is that so hard for her that he has gone? Ed, you cannot see it. Thirteenth of November nineteen forty one. Ed, you cannot see it, but my heart is consumed with homesickness. Ed, I will surely perish if no one hears my cry for help. Ed, I'm so forsaken, so utterly, eerily alone. Ed, I can't believe why it had to be like this. In the evening by lamplight, when I'm writing, sewing, reading, I'm not so much alone as you are with me, my dearest one. And a heart sweetly beguiled, does not feel so alone when I'm writing, not weighed down by the memory of past happiness and the knowledge that it must remain alone. Dearest, I have your photograph with me and I look into your eyes until my eyes well up with tears and I can no longer see to write. But then, when in the endless night a deep blackness oppresses me, my heart awakes with grief, and my soul is ripped apart by sorrow. I feel the dreadful pain. I cannot pretend that it is not so. I am trapped and quite alone, alone in my deep distress. I find the poems very raw from that point of view, and I did want to ask you, the few that were bound into the book you got, would you have got that sort of poem, like the, the one to Ed, or did you get more poems? They were all over the shop. The only things that were bound was that little 
booklet that she gave me for my 13th birthday. Yeah. But everything else comes in little books. Could you say those, the poems that your mum gave you for your birthday were less, um, how would you say, no, use, they, they were less... Less um, desperate, raw. I suppose. Yes, less, less raw, less raw, yeah. In the beginning, but as she goes and she writes the poem about when she was in hospital and 19 people had visitors, 19 times the door opened, they brought a piece of bread or a bit of a leaf of, of lettuce, but who would come to her? So what she does is she turns her face to the wall. She couldn't bear to look at it. She had a family, a husband and three children and nobody knew anything about her. On 22nd of October, 1940, Sylvia and two of her daughters, Miriam and Eva, were deported and taken to the French camp in Gueux, south of France, together with the other Jewish people from Baden. In the camp hospital. A heart that has beaten since birth and carried the heaviest burden of duty, cried out to be saved, loveless now, but no one, no one heard. And so her warm heart grew cold, and soon from her lips came the sound of bitterness and anguish. Now the woman lies alone in the ward. Visitors chat, they come and go. What does Andre know of your rose? That twenty is silent, a tear wells up, but no one sees, not man, not child. She looks at two pictures, eyes brimming with tears, the man and the children, yet no one else. And yet, yet she is so alone. The sun streams in through the windows, visiting hours are over and people are leaving. That twenty can no longer bear to look, quiet, her head in her hands. She turns to face the wall, visiting hours are over. Is that poem in the little booklet that your mum made you? I should think so, but all that stuff is in and it's not in the Latin script that we use. So the first thing that had to be done is that had to be translated into German script. Oh, right, okay. It was old Zutalin, and um, with us, sometimes she wrote in Zutalin and she tried to write in Latin to make sure that we read it. So when you first got the book, it wasn't that accessible, you mean? Or the ones that were in the book were accessible? What really happened is I had lots of things and I had a big, big trouble looking at them. I had pain. I needed this. I needed the, that little book that was very important to me. That is what I had. But all the other things, they, they came bit by bit. They, they were found. The maid picked up uh, poetry, photographs. All the things that the Nazis didn't need, they threw out of the window and they were going to sell, you know, they very cheaply the stuff that they confiscated. You just had to sign, you make everything over to the to the country and took the keys and that was the end. But then they were clearing up. So letters, photographs, all that things that didn't mean anything to them, they threw out of the window, were going to make a fire, a big fire. Oh. And this and this lady, this lady, she used to be a maid of ours, and we loved her very much, and she was not allowed to work for us anymore because she was under 40. There was a law that you could only have old a maid over 40. But she was still our friend. She lived on the land, and she kept our friendship up. She, had, she was not afraid. She was Catholic. She was not married. But she had the courage to pick them up. 
from this play where, where everybody's stuff was put thrown on, she sorted it out and kept it and gave it back to me at the end of the war. So, so I suddenly had my little book and uh, quite a lot of little books of my mother's because she didn't write them in beautiful things. Sometimes she gave them as presents to people, like her teacher and people that, that she respected. But I had a problem and when I read them, I cried myself silly mm. because it, it brought so many things to, to life. Spring 1938 for City Jews. How painful all this blossom and beauty, springtime in our malignant world. Decked out in withered garlands, these urban Jews with flowers that droop their wretched heads. They still live in a world of yesterday, playing with the dog, going out for coffee, and yet we are all brothers and sisters that share a common woe. It's all a masquerade and posturing. They put on an act and all is make-believe. What they were has vanished into the abyss. What they are is not what they would wish to be. They languish on benches in beautiful avenues, not old and retired, but with time on their hands. You see them strolling in the spring-fresh streets, but their eyes betray that they are lost and distant. How painful is all the blossom and beauty. Here is life, but all around the world is dying. There are no more heads to wear a crown of flowers. and No one to comfort the fallen. 1938, my father went to Dachau, I was seven. And so as I, the more I understood, but I was afraid of all this stuff. And when I went to Germany, they invited me in 1986 and 1988, and they were very good to us, and they showed us that there are different kind of people. I got a feeling that I needed to know more, and I got hold of one teacher who was wonderful, and she read all the stuff for me because it was in Switzerland, and she told me, you've got to get this published, you've got to get this published, but my problem was much bigger than that. I didn't want to go into this cardboard box where all this stuff was. It was like, I'm torn, I want to go into it, but I was frightened. So when she started reading the stuff and telling me, she's a very clever teacher, she was, and as she was the main person who saw to it that I actually got them, you know, published and talked about them. That made it easier, because once it's in a book, it's not so personal as the original writing when you look goes through them. Yeah. It's interesting. So there are different people who've helped you on the way then, aren't there? And Johnny told me that the wonderful maid was called Minna, is that right? Yes, Hermina, Hermina yeah, Keller. Yeah, he's called her Minna so, for short. But Minna, should, yes. Yeah, I think we should yes. name her because she is a real righteous yes. Gentile, isn't she? I do. I, when You know, when I show my um, talk, I talk and I illustrate it with my pictures. She's always mentioned because she is the one who really showed that you don't have to be a big person in order to do good. She did. She was hated in the village because she was friendly with the Jews. Yeah. I think it's very important to name her. And actually, you've brought up something very interesting. I, I'm, I'm wanting to talk about, you know, your the legacy, as I've said. And you actually, I know a lot, a lot of survivors talk here in the UK, particularly. I know a lot of them, and we have a massive 
event every year um, around Holocaust Memorial Day when thousands of local school children come through our synagogue and listen to the stories of different survivors. But you actually go back to Germany as well. Do you do it in, in the I, UK? I do. I've been doing it for 30 years. Yes. And uh, they've, been, they've appreciated it. No, tomorrow night I've got to speak on, on Zoom in Freiburg. Uh, there's always something going on. It's just got bigger and bigger, but my strength is getting weaker and weaker. I'm trying to do my best, but I'm get, I used to go for one week. At this time, I was never at, at, in here. I was usually in Germany. Mm. And so if COVID is over and you start travelling again, I'll have to find out how that feels. Yeah, I, I was going to say that Zoom is quite a boon, isn't it? If you're saying, you know, it's hard work travelling shopping backwards and forwards to, to Germany and it's and even I mean actually it would be quite could be quite hard work shopping anywhere really couldn't it just around London it has opened up many many new avenues for people and made it easier for somebody like you I mean that's a good well, it thing. was important for me to speak in Germany yes. it happened there yeah I didn't see the same needs to speak in England and lots of mm. people were doing that so I never yeah. volunteered for that because I felt it happened there. I want to educate them. I want to be sure that this shouldn't happen again. It's quite interesting that Mum wrote originally to the local newspaper in about 19... Well, you should pick it up. In 1981, mm -hmm. I wrote to Germany into the newspaper, and all I wanted, I wanted to find somebody who knew my mother who could tell me something about her. I sent that letter by registered post. It never got there. It landed in the dustbin. And you know when you phone somebody and they're not in, it becomes all the more important. I tried and tried and tried. And finally, finally, about nine years later, they wanted Esther's story, Esther's, Esther's diary. Every day there was one chapter. But at the time, they took everything and put it in the dustbin because the people who worked for the Offenburger Tageblatt were obviously Nazis. Mm. Well. You don't. Well, it must be. It might have been hard for them as well mm. to, oh, to face you, the odds. You should explain that Esther's died. Esther was your oldest sister who hadn't. She, she got a present when we were in Munich for six months mm. or five months. Before we left, it was Hanukkah, and she got a diary with a key in a, in a red bound book. And my mother said, Write into it whatever you feel. Empty your heart into this book, and she did it. She did it, and she sent it on her way to Theresienstadt. She decided to send it to Minna, to this to this maid, and she had it, and she kept it till the end of the war. Till I went to Germany, nineteen fifty, for the first time, she gave it to me. It was it wasn't opened. I, I opened it. That must have been incredibly moving because by that time you'd lost your sister as well. Esther, yes, she, yes. Was, she had. She was gone you, yeah. in forty-four. Yeah, so you've now got some, another testament, haven't you? And and I believe that one landed up in in Israel, didn't it? Is that right? In, in nineteen ninety-nine, they had it on loan. It's mm. still there. Mm. It's difficult to get it back. They had it in an <laughs> exhibition, and they called it "No Child's Play." Was the exhibition in ninety-nine? Oh, right, that, that's quite a a good title, isn't it? Quite ironic. Very Israeli. Very direct. Yes. So, um, do you mind them having it? I mean, have you got copies of it? Because it's it's good that it's there to be a testament, isn't it? The first time. I have a I have a, a translation in English. My niece has translated it, but it isn't oh. the same as having the original Esther's writing. Yes, that must be very 
important, mustn't it? If people want to know, as I've said, the story, we should just very briefly tell it, but really they should go and listen to the piece that's inspired us to get together today, which is the piece on the BBC Outlook programme on the World Service. But if you wanted to just summarise what happened. I mean, there you were, you were in Germany, your, then your father went to England. Once he'd gone to the England, things seemed to get even more difficult, obviously, because you had to move around an enormous amount, didn't you? As you, you and you're just the girls. I mean, we just, we're talking about, first of all, your mother and her three daughters, and then eventually I think you had to put your older sister, who, no, was it Polio she had? I can't remember what she had. but um... when, she, when she was four years old, yes. she had, there was something wrong with mm. her neck. She had some little operation. Mm. And when my mother wanted to come and pick her up to take her home, they said, I'm sorry, we can't. We've got an epidemic of things, and Esther has caught it. Mm. And then my mother had to worry about... At that time, I was just about to be born, 1931, when I was born. Mm. So she had a sick child, and she was pregnant. And she had another child at home as well, who was only about two. So she had it, it was very hard. Um, but we went to Munich out for safety's sake because the war broke out and we were very near the French border, 28 kilometers from Strasbourg. So it's very, she remembered the First World War and the, the bombing was pretty bad. And so she said, let's go to safety inland. Mm. So we became refugees and we landed up in Munich where there was a bigger community. And they helped us. We lived in one room, four of us, and the lady was extremely nice. But, uh, you know, she said you could just about make a fry an egg or something like that because she couldn't use the kitchen properly. But the lady was extremely kind. She made a poem about her. She said she didn't only give us a roof over our head, she gave us her heart. So Aww. she did appreciate that lady. So when the bombings didn't seem to be bad in Offenburg, my mother decided to return. And before that, we had to go, since 1937, we had to travel 68 kilometers to go to school, Jewish school. Offenburg was what? too small. Really? There, there was a rule. I did about one or two terms in German school, and then there was a law that we were not allowed to go to school anymore with Christian children. That was one of the laws. So we were boarded out to three different families in Freiburg. That was the nearest to, mm. to have a good school. So my mother had three children, but all three children were boarded out. She still had her husband at home. Yeah. Then my father had to leave after Dachau. Six months on his return, he left and went to England on his way to Palestine. He, he, that was in transit to Palestine. That's why he came to England. It's the only country that let him go through. Mm. But the war broke out so quickly that my father could not get us out because it was war. Yes. But he did try, we've got proof that he had all the letters under the sun and he did want us to get together. He wanted, she was going to have a job as a cook housekeeper, keep me, the youngest one, with her, and the other two would walk them out. But the, the bad thing before was, when we were at Freiburg, that I was terribly, terribly homesick. Imagine a child of seven with strange people. Mm. They were Jewish, yes, but... They were more religious than we were. They were praying morning, noon, and, uh, and I wasn't used to it, but whatever it was, I, I joined in. And I was very homesick. And at Friday, every Friday, the three of us would meet again at the station and we'd go home for the weekend, Saturday. And Sunday, we had the journey back. And that journey was too much for Esther with her legs. 
because you had, you know, steps here, steps there. She could do them, but it was a strain on her. So my mother thought it was better for her to leave her in Munich in the Jewish children's home, the Antonienheim, um, where she did well. She even finished her schooling. She got her school certificate. She did everything. She was. She carried on her life. She was brilliant. I didn't see Esther anymore from the time that I went back to yeah. Offenburg. It was 1940 in March we went back. And then I, that was the last time I saw her. Yes, so it's even harder... You're being moved around all the time, and you're, the girls are not even together. So, but again, there must have been a huge poignancy to you getting together at this train station to go home for the weekend, and then having to part or, and go and stay at different places. You know, but at least there was still a home at the weekend. There was still a mother. Yeah, there. Father yeah. was father had gone, but she was trying to keep make it good. You know, a nice yeah, home for us. Yes, I but she was suffering because she was totally alone during the yeah. week. Exactly. But that's what—that's the time when she could um, write her poetry. We used to have always uh, somebody to, to to clean and somebody to look after us. Mm. But now it wasn't important because there was nobody there. No, I can see what you mean. So, after the war, you arrived in to be reunited with your father. You'd lost your mother. You'd lost your oldest sister, and there's just it was you and Miriam, isn't it? Uh, yes. And. <laughs> There's a part in the other programme where you you spoke quite eloquently about um, your father. He said, what are you wearing long white socks for? That's what the youth wear. Get rid of those. And then he appears to have expected you to do girl-type stuff like cooking and cleaning, which apparently your sister didn't like. So I, I get this really interesting picture of your dad. <laughs> I mean, that, those were the times, I suppose. But I think the thing about the socks is very revealing, isn't it? It was difficult because we had seen him for six years mm. and he hadn't any idea how to cope with us. He didn't know what he was doing by allowing us to come to him. He wasn't ready. He was a man who had to work hard and he did work hard, mm. but he didn't have any money. And we came and it was a bit better than the camps, but life was very hard. We were in one room and we had one ring to cook on, you know, mm. they put a shilling in it, and when the shilling had gone, you couldn't carry on cooking. And when your father came home at six o'clock, he was hungry, he wanted a meal, but A, we didn't know how to cook. Oh. We hadn't seen, we, what had we seen? We had seen camps, we hadn't seen, yeah. and, you know, we went children homes. I mean, it, it, it was just a, a dreadful situation, and he didn't think that we had to go to school. It was the landlady who took us to Paddington Maid of Idaho's school, saying, You've been here, for, you're only 14 and 16, you're still bound to be to school. Mm. And she took us there, it was very kind, Mrs. Pollitzer. It was so kind of her. I mean, we were locked up in this, in this room. We had the key to go out, but we didn't have any money. He was out all day. And what do we do for six weeks? Oh. He had saved um, tin milk and jam for us. And we were licking through this. The first few weeks, we had nothing but open these jars with our fingers and you know, we've never seen all this stuff, but that's what, that was the advantage here in England. We had a key, and we had the, the, there was jam, and the, that was there. But we, we had to go to the factory where my father was a manager in the feather factory and ask for the money on a Friday to, so that we could do shopping. It was, it was the situation that we had a home, there was no bath. We had to go to the public bath oh. and show more hot water, number four, please. <laughs> and, but I mean, it was unbelievable. We, you know, neighbours were lovely. They were very poor. Mm. It was in Battersea. So when the cleaner 
was trying to wash the curtains, she put her petticoat there so, so, so that nobody right, could look, so look in. And then one day, one of our children that I knew from the from France came to see us, and we were not in. So she, he said it was a boy, Helmut, and he said, "Could I see the children's bedroom?" And my father saw that was a terrible thing to ask. But this boy, you know, it was perfectly natural. We were all sleeping in the dormitory and all mm. the rest of it. So it was difficult, very difficult. These poor people were the nicest people you can imagine. They really were. Neighbours would come, bring you a loaf of bread. It was fourpence halfpenny, mm. and they but they came to your house. They were wonderful. They wanted to be kind. But my father was very tough. He wanted mm. he, his uh, rules were too strict for us. Mm. You have to be in by eleven fifty nine. If you come in at midnight, <laughs> you wouldn't open the door. Gosh. And it's interesting because you must have been, by that time, resilient and... 14 and 16. Yeah. I came home with my boyfriend and I was surprised that he'd marry me afterwards because he threw him in, he pulled me in, he hit me, threw him in, closed the door and then ooh, suddenly got bitten. And then he, he could stay the night and sleep on the floor. So but my boyfriend put up with that. All that's happened is we missed the last bus. Mm. We were in Clapham Common, and we had to walk from Clapham Common to Battersea. It was quite a mm. walk, and so it wasn't 11.59, it was half past one, I think. Wow. So you have, sometimes you came at one thirty, you see. And, but this was the boy you married? Yes, I went to Abonim. My father did a nice thing. He asked the local synagogue in Bollingbrook Grove if there was a club meeting here, and they said, yes, on the Saturday night at 7.30, the meeting... And that was the best part of it. I mean, my life started once we joined Havonima. I had a wonderful time. First, I sent my sister. She was there for six weeks. She didn't like it. She wanted something more posh. She went to the linguist club. And I just, it, it, I took to it. I found my husband to be, um, and my father threw him out that night. And they were never very close friends. But he was, uh, they were a lovely family from Breslau. Mm. Uh, he was he came on a kinder transport, but he came. His parents followed him, so he had the support of parents at some time, not all the time. He was sort of um, with a family in the black country, so he had to he had to help on the land, but he also could go to school. And if he did the friends' homework, he got some chips that, because somebody <laughs> had a father had a chip shop, so he could get some free chips. Sounds but wonderful. He, he also had his problems, so we were two people bringing up children, and each one of us had problems. Mm. I, we never recognised that they had problems, but they were pointed out to me later on in life. Maybe it's better that they weren't pointed out at the time. Because I think I, I'm getting the impression they did a pretty good job of it. What was your husband's name? Wolfgang Mendelssohn. There were two sons, Wolfgang and Stefan. Yeah. So one became Walt and the other one Steve. Right. Oh, yes, I can see how that might happen. Yeah. And so, Johnny, I'm guessing they made a pretty good fist of bringing you up. Oh, I had a great time. I mean, yes, very happy childhood. Uh, I missed my brother and sister because they were a lot older than me. So by the time, you know, I was old enough to know what was sort of going on, they, they were already... Um, how would you explain? Uh, well, you, you had four parents for four first four yes, years, and then they disappeared. That's right. My sister would have been, I guess I was three, very young. And I remember she had boyfriends at the time, and they would take me out. So she would be about 16, and they thought I was their child, but they were 16. Mm. I remember going to places. Funny enough, um, there was, a, I think, a Greek restaurant near the Scottish, but I can't quite remember. I've got this vague memory of it. It was, it's difficult to, uh, as I think, 
I, I sort of hinted yesterday, there was there was a sense, you know, like grandparents would come round. It's all you know, isn't it? So you don't know that your grandparents are any different. You know, I don't detect that mum and dad, according to my friends, have like a German accent. That's just, you know, that's their voice. But other friends think they do. But I think seeing grandparents, um, certainly my dad's mum, there was a, there was pain. You could sense pain and hurt. I don't know how those things are transmitted, but you knew that... I, I, I can't remember. I mean, so she died when I was 12, um, or Magretta, my, my father's mother. She, she was in pain. You could... And I, the pain was, was mental pain, not... You know, she obviously had, had like, a... She'd hurt her hip and things. But I, I can't tell you exactly when I knew about the family story but I can't remember it not being there if that but also makes 25 sense. years you couldn't talk about it so you you're 25 years not mine mm. right yes my yes. Years, sorry right yeah no that's that's important I think you know again when we're at Hebrew classes and you know when we're old enough maybe 13 to talk about the holocaust because my memory may be a bit younger I I knew the story or I'd watched programs I think I remember being a certain age and mum and dad saying, you know, I think it's time you watched this documentary about the Holocaust. I don't think I was old enough to understand, but yeah, you knew that was the family story. Yeah. So. yeah. But it was, yeah, I mean, dad, dad had his interests, mum had her interests. Um, dad took us, we bonded over football. So he was in the West Midlands, so he was evacuated. And so we all have a love for Wolves, which, oh, right. which for Wolverhampton Wanderers, yeah. I mean, that was our team, and they were big in the 50s. And that's transcended, so, like, all the grandchildren, even our, my nephew in Jerusalem is a Wolves fan. All my boys uh, are Wolves fans, my brother is. And that was a thing that, you know, obviously we all sort of bonded over. But, um, yeah, you know, Mum would we'd do all sorts of things, take us to all the markets. They're very different. Dad came from a very cultural family. You know, they liked going to uh, the theatre, they liked mm. the music, whereas Mum was much more, I don't know, how would you explain it, much more um, like markets and and life was for living. So they were very different backgrounds, but one gave the other support or different mm. view on the world. But it was, we had lovely family holidays until I was, I think I became a pain and uh, I ended up going to Hubble in. Uh, and I wanted to be with kids my own age, I guess. So did you generally mix with other Jewish kids or non-Jewish kids? Well, it was Golders Green, so oh, Hampstead right. Garden suburb. I wouldn't know uh, exactly how many Jewish kids were there, but I never felt like I was an outsider. Um, secondary school, I went to Christ College in Finchley, but there was still a lot of Jewish boys. You know, um, when Yom Kippur came along, I think a good third of the class must be missing, mm. maybe more. So, yes, you know, and Hubblelim, I was surrounded by Jewish kids, obviously, and brought up or with stories and stuff. But, yeah, it was a happy childhood. We missed, I think. There was definitely a sense that, you know, my brother was in Manchester um, studying politics, and when he was at university, we'd look forward to letters, and my sister in that time was already in Israel. So when letters came, funnily enough, you know, on the full cycle... Those letters were very exciting, and uh, when they came, and of course, you know, phone calls were quite expensive, or you know, that mm, was they quite were a, then, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, I think there was a there was a sense, you know, like my greatest possessions, not really mine, but were my were Miriam was in New York. She was in America by this time, Miriam, 
Um, we're talking about the 50s and 60s, and mm. she sent books, and those books um, took on a great meaning for me later on, just because it was family and maybe, you know, aunties and that we didn't have um, or hadn't known. It was important. My auntie in America was very important. I mean, yes, like as mum's family. And whether you consciously or unconsciously knew that was because you'd lost other family. I'm, I'm not quite sure. I can't quite... It's deep-rooted, let's say. But, uh, I think you had an ordinary upbringing. Oh, yeah. The way I treated you was possibly I had a tough life and I expected you to be toughies. Look, Mum and Dad had no role model, as a sense, bringing up children. They did it instinctively. Um, I feel like, you know, Dad... And again, this is very personal, but Dad had a lot of pain that he didn't talk about. I mean, Dad was a lot luckier than Mum, but... He, I mean, it's wrong. You can't judge how people deal with events in their life. But mum got on. Mum was a survivor. And my father struggled, I think. He he lost. Their family was very well to do. Um, his grandfather was the head of the Chamber of Commerce. And they were very well respected. But mum was a more, um, her family was, how would you say, more working, not working class, but more middle class. Down to earth, let's say. It was so, so dad, you know, dad should have gone to university, um, but it just didn't work out in that sense. He had to go into the family business. Mm. So that was hard. So did he struggle? I mean, I'm talking more openly about my dad than I've allowed mum to talk about about uh, her daughter. But he he had lots of involvement with lots of societies, interesting societies, but but quite strange for a Jewish man. He was involved with the uh, Monumental Brass Society and the Church Monument Society. Oh. <laughs> and I think one of the things that's very interesting is maybe, you know, um, how would you call them? They're not refugees. Well, they are refugees or people that come to Britain. Uh, they try and maybe make themselves more English than the English. So who was my father's favourite composer? It was Elgar. And, oh. you know, uh, when it comes to artists, it's like uh, John Piper... I mean, he was very, very thankful for what the British did to him. We're moving on here. We've gone yeah. into no, no, I'm enjoying this territory. because uh, I, you um, know, how can you not love Elgar? How can you not love John Piper? I mean, it doesn't mean yes. you don't love the, no, the, the music was, and art of, of, of the country absolutely. where you were born. Absolutely. But, but it's, an um, ad, it's something else. You've got that as yes. well. And of course you yeah. want to in, enjoy the, 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 the Englishness and the Britishness. Yeah. You know, no, he, no. He has every so right. it, was, it was different. I mean, it was just so... I don't know. I mean, I, so yes, what was my childhood? Every Saturday, Dad would want to go out to the countryside. He'd want to see churches or he'd want to... Uh, just see the English countryside. Oh, right. You know, and he loved monuments, you know. So I've still got that sort of love for, uh, you know, if you go to any town in in Britain, it's always nice to go to the graveyard, actually, or the church. I love doing, doing that, yes. Yeah. I love to do that. I mean, so, and yet we're still a very Jewish family. You know, yes, it's very, very I, I think, important. isn't that what's so lovely, that you, you take and give what you want? I mean, I'm not going to just say take, because you're giving as well. Um, oh, yeah. do, you, do you like John Betjeman? Because that's another very English... Yes, of course. I yeah, you might. Yeah. I mean, he, well, he loved John Betjeman and, mm. and then... Um, mm. Sorry, I meant so, did he like John Betjeman, yes. Yes, yeah. yeah, but he did. He certainly did. And, Hang or, on a minute. Did you have parents similar to this? Did you understand the situation so well? 
Um, did your parents come from abroad? I no, mean, no, not at all. Not in any way whatsoever. Well, my my beloved grandfather, whom I never met, um, hobbled because he he had a very bad leg. Hobbled out of Belarus and across Europe before the First World War, or I wouldn't be talking to you now. So I have a great debt to him, and he was a Yiddish journalist. Um, but I think they always were proud of their Britishness, but they were proud of their Jewishness. And it's coming over to me that you are, you know, you're proud and great because you are, you know, you're naturalised British, you are Jewish. And, and it radiates right the way through everything that you've sent me from your mother. She's always talking about Jewishness. In the, in the, and, and the community and the religion. There's some beautiful religious. But you can't get away from your blood. What do you feel? I'm, I'm only talking to Johnny about this, but there are certain moments that made you feel Jewish. When they mm. say Hashiveno at the end of the, when they close the ark, it's such a personal feeling. I get the more I believe and it's 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 important and the kids think I'm crazy to have such a simple mind you know as to what I want or what I believe in but it's nice it's a it's a nice way to be that you crazy I don't think yeah. it's, I think it's wonderful I think I think you're yeah. dealt certain cards in life and some of yours have been tough but where you're You've made the best of so many of them, so many of the hands that you've been dealt. And if one of the hands is the Jewishness, and if you do love the beauty of the music or the service or the words, and there's a lovely photograph you sent with me. Tell me about the photograph of you holding the um, the, the, the tourist. Well, I made. I was asked to make a. If I would like to make a cover for the Torah, and I said I'll have a go. I never. I never thought I would. But I had a go, and it was very important because I made it in memory. On the front, it's all Jewish. You've got a pomegranate that was for, for Israel. On the back of it, I put down in, in memory of my mother and, and my sister as well at the back. So it, I, I handed it over very happily. And they, they liked it. They, wanted, they had a Torah that was for soul. You couldn't use it, but they hadn't got a cover. And it had to come out once a year for sure. And you know, Simchat Torah, and all, and all, every Torah comes out. Mm, of course. And so that's what I made it for. And that was in 2004. I think after my husband died, I devoted more and more time to what I really like doing, playing. And that is what I do. And you are that brilliant and needlewoman, and it's wonderful. Well, I had to, there was a time my husband was made in 1986, he lost a job that he had for 38 years and suddenly it needed a bit more money. I was I was working, I was always working in the office somewhere, but so now I needed a bit more money. So I decided to start a knitting business 
um, and I had 27 people who were knitting, people who were willing to knit for me. And then you send out little parcels, and if you're lucky, it comes back as a garment. And if you're unlucky, they've kept the wool, and if it's <laughs> oil, they couldn't knit very well. So and then I went to craft first, and before weeks, and then I had to schlep all these things, and that was on the weekend after my job during the week. And you had sacks and sacks of jumpers. It was lovely. It was quite something to help out. And then later yeah. on, when my husband died, I, and I had that was knitting. And then after when I went to uh, once a, once a week, I went to Richard Street has the American College, and they had um, a whole day of doing whatever you wanted in the arts. And I did dying, I did patch, patchwork, absolutely tried all sorts of things, but just the whole day, and it, it was a wonderful opening. And then gradually, as my husband died in 2000, I've been alone for 21 years, I decided I'd go to City Lit. They have machines which you can use, but fabric and sew their own. And I did this till 2013. Right, and so that's where yeah. being able to do make make that beautiful mantle comes from, is it? Because I was really impressed with that. Actually, it's completely irrelevant to everything we've just been talking about. But whilst I, lest I forget, there is there's a two there are two photographs. Are they of your parents with an aeroplane? With a, with a, yes, yes, right. that was a honeymoon, and I think the poem Flight relates yes. to that. I wanted so to ask they about went that. To, um, it's the photo of your mum and dad, and they're by the plane. It looks like a biplane. 1925, I think it was. A little biplane, yes. I mean, I, and she looks like Amy Johnson. It's extraordinary. They went to Kianti, that's right. Yeah, and, and I, I mean, so that doesn't suggest that they're really. My grandfather had a, a wine business, a, a wholesale of, and a schnapps and I did it's brandy as well as wine. Oh, right. But he had he had problems in the family. He had to look after all the, his money went on uh, to help Esther to get better with all the operations that she needed for her leg. That's when she had polio. Mm. And he had a wife who was sick and he had a daughter who was sick. Oh, he had there was a lot of problems. So they were not poor initially. It just life went sour. In 1933, when he got rid of his business, he got pennies for it. Right, OK. But before that, he was able to go on a, a flying honeymoon. Yes. Wow. Yes. <laughs> that is really romantic, isn't it? And daring and adventurous. I think... On... First Flight, 1927. The scent is cruel, but ascent is a joy. Gaze now directed far beyond the horizon, chasing away the mist to open the distant vista, the spirit following the line of sight. Blue fragrant hills, luscious green meadows, white reddish villages, rivers that flow, all this the eyes gather in like fruit of the tree. Or is it just a tree? Higher and higher, buzzing and humming, the engine surges, but where is the dread? Higher with buzzing and whirring and humming, words fall silent in the roar of the wind, secure in the knowledge of existence of other, soaring upwards in full flight, flight. So this was an arranged marriage, which I found out. Recently. I didn't know. My goodness, it, it didn't come over it was, that way. <laughs> it, 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 well, my father came from Schönzeit, which is in Prussia, you know, poison, 
whereas my mother came from the forest. So how did the two get together? So we have found we have found we have found witness that they my grandfather advertised that was his last daughter to get married. Well, oh. Sylvia was very was the young, very young. I mean, she was the youngest mm. of the. the she the, was a bit five, like him, yeah. an afterthought. Well, <laughs> she was five girls, five five girls, and mm. Sylvia was the youngest. Mm. Um, and there was how many years between her and the eldest? Eighteen. So sixteen. Yeah. No, the, the oldest was born in eighteen eighty-eight, and the youngest was born in nineteen oh four. You were oh. So was was there a matchmaker involved? I don't know. That. <laughs> <laughs> that's the bit <laughs> that's that's getting, that's getting a bit fiddler on the roof now, isn't it? <laughs> no, well, you, you say that, but it's really mm. interesting that mm. um, again we 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 kind of. There's there's a couple of fantastic. There's very very old cemetery in um, nearby uh, Offenburg in Schmiheim, mm. and they were cattle handlers, and you know so it is. I think it's 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 clear that you know like like you say fiddler on the roof, mm. but yeah. No, I just love the idea of this matchmaker because it clearly was nonetheless a, a, a wonderful marriage. You could tell despite the disruptions, and you know I know it came to a horrible end, through no fault of their own, but they they. From the poetry, it looks like it was a love match. So, nonetheless, because she speaks so beautifully of him. Some of those early poems, round about the time of the uh, of the honeymoon, are just gorgeous, aren't they? You know, just, yes. they're infused with a love of life and and a love of of Ed. Betrothal, twenty second of December, nineteen twenty eight. Come, give me your hand, my beloved. Let us celebrate the feasts as they fall, every unused hour is time wasted, for who knows when death may take us all. Come give me your hand, my beloved, and let us share in sorrow and joy. The wheel of life still turns, come smell the roses and enjoy. Come give me your hand, my beloved, our lights burn bright in our heart, we shall renew the oath we have taken, let nothing ever us apart. We were so lucky that we found this lady finally and to, we mm. translated them beautifully. Marian Godfrey, she's just marvellous. Mm. And if people like it, that's wonderful because she had something to say. Yes, she did have something to say and, and I do feel that she, did, she oh. didn't want it published. She ah. did not. Oh. She, she did not. She oh, said, it's, it's not for strange eyes, it's for you. She had something important to say, and so she, she, I felt I could break that. <laughs> if she didn't want it, she wanted it for us children alone. I think the world had to know. She knew in 1933 that we'd be wearing a yellow star. She knew what was coming. To Germany, 6th of August, 1933. In pain and in fear, I ask why I was ever born here. A thousand tears run hot down my face for all that I will have lost in this place. I love you, land, forest and lake, your majestic mountains, must I now forsake? My heavy heart is breaking with sorrow, fearful for what awaits me tomorrow. So you will no longer be my home, the country that I love is no more my own. My injured soul will yearn for you, when I have to leave and say adieu. Your blood and mine may not be the same. The bloodline of this land I cannot claim. I know there's much that us divides, but stronger still is the bond that unites. 
the soil that is my lifelong home, the much-loved earth I love to roam. How is it that I can suddenly be a stranger in my own country? I love you, tormented to understand that my people are no longer welcome in this land. Must be a Jew, must be from a different clan, and thereby you separate man from man. She made one French rich friend, and then she says, go, go overseas, but tell the world what they're doing to us. That I'm telling you, it's, it's murder. And I mean, she knew, and when she went, when she left us behind, knowing that she was going to her death, she knew Poland, she didn't know the name of Auschwitz. So she left us, she gave me birth twice, once when she bore me, and then when she gave me my freedom. Mm. And my sister Miriam. So, I mean, it had to be said, she can't speak, I've got to speak for her. Because and as far as I'm concerned, dead is only he who's forgotten. That's why doing all this reminding now on Yom HaShoah. Well, you'll speak very eloquently for her. I am convinced she would be very proud of you. And it's Thank you. very clear to me that Johnny is incredibly proud of you. Aren't you? <laughs> yes, well, I guess what that says. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And, the force of nature. You should all, it sounds like you should be very proud of your family. And oh, you absolutely. There's no both question, of you. We're very proud of both mum and dad. Mm. So, Eva and Johnny, I want to thank you for talking to me today so frankly and so warmly and with such thought. I feel privileged to have spoken to you. Thank you. Thank you for giving us all the opportunity to... Can I have a copy of that magazine? <laughs> yes. I'll make sure you get a copy. I'll get Johnny's address, oh. make sure you have it. Don't worry. Yeah, no, it looks fantastic. Mm. It looks fantastic. No, but it is. It's really wonderful to mm. be able to share the story. I think mm. I said to you on the phone yesterday how I... Well, what would it have been? I can't remember why, but I thought it was Holocaust Memorial Day then, but it couldn't have been. Back in January? The liberation of... The liberation of Auschwitz. Of Auschwitz. Yeah. So I put the poem that had just been translated, you know, Sylvia's thoughts about having to leave to... Anyway, and and I was surprised by, you know, friends saying it's really important that that story's put out there. Mm -hmm. And um, I struggle sometimes with what I see on social media and knowing how to say and what to say. And there's pain there again. Um, so it was nice that people felt they wanted to hear it and wanted to understand perhaps where I'm coming from when sometimes I don't agree with everything um, that my friends on the left always say. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm, um, I think it does. So, yes, and then for it to be picked up by the BBC and for now for you to do something. If, if, and also, as Mum says, it's a way of keeping Sylvia's memory alive and and to, to know a grandmother I didn't know it's it's a wonderful way to sort of keep their legacy I suppose yeah from the poem 20th of December 1941 Hanukkah the camp infirmary memories of the events of the past two years since Edward's return from Dachau at Hanukkah 1938 how long shall I plead, torn apart from husband and children? How long must I beg you to reunite us? Do you not see me? How long must I atone for guilt unknown? I prostrate myself at your feet. Lord God, grant me mercy. 
Today is the third anniversary of the most beautiful day of my life, when my husband came back to me, my torment seemed over. When will we, our children and I, have what we dare to dream, to be happy in freedom? When will the long-for hour approach, the 20th of December that binds what is divided? When will I see you again, my beloved husband? You and all my children, when will we be united? Almighty God, tell me when. When shall I ever again feel the greatest happiness on earth? When will love return to my poor heart?